the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. It's time for a conversation about the things we share in common. Our common hopes, our common fears, our common struggles. Together, we'll wrestle with the questions that we all have about the issues that affect our lives. This is The Common Good. Now, here are your hosts, Brian Fromm and Ian Simpkins. Friends, welcome to The Common Good, a show all about diving into the mess, the stuff that has uh, a lot of gray intention around it, not tying up every story or idea with a nice pretty bow, just because that's how real life is for most <laughs> of us. My name is Ian Simpkins, and I'm joined today by Brian Fromm. We're so glad you're here. Happy Monday, even though it's gray and rainy. And- but it's like 50 degrees outside. Like, like Chicago's crazy right now. We were polar vortexing last week. <laughs> Now it's like 50 degrees and all that's all wet and mushy. Like, let's just be normal here. Maybe a little 30, a little something normal. It's crazy out there, man, but I happy s- Monday. It's I good saw, to be back. I saw a guy wearing uh, cargo shorts and flip-flops this morning. Yes. Just f- 50 is the new 90, I think. Well, uh, if you want to join us, you can find us in a couple of places. Uh, on Facebook, you can go to the Common Good Radio Show. We'll post articles and questions throughout the day there. We'd love for you to interact there. You can also go to 1160hope.com. And uh, all the previous shows are there. You can find this show podcasted on any platform that you listen to podcasts. Uh, We would love to hear your thoughts and feedback there as well. One of the big stories over the weekend, though, is one that's caused uh, quite a lot of stir. Yeah. Quite a lot of arguing. The headline is simply this. Virginia governor claims he's not in blackface nor KKK robes in yearbook photos. So we're talking, of course, about uh, Ralph Northam. And uh, Brian and I have some thoughts, mm-hmm. uh, but first, though, I want to play a little bit of audio for you of, uh, of Ralph uh, explaining the pick himself. Here's, uh, here's Ralph himself. I recognize that many people will find this difficult to believe. The photo appears with others I submitted on a page with my name on it. Even in my own statement yesterday, I conceded that based on the evidence presented to me at the time, the most likely explanation that it was indeed me in the photo. In the hours since I made my statement yesterday, I reflected with my family and classmates from the time and affirmed my conclusion that I am not the person in that photo. Okay, so initially he apologizes, right? Right. And now he's coming back and saying, on second thought, it wasn't actually me, my bad. I've I've paused. I've reflected. I'm essentially taken back the apology, right? Because he says it's it's not actually he made a mistake. It's not actually me, and uh, people seem to be losing their minds right now. About yeah, this. and I think one of the real struggles for us here is that uh, we've all heard politicians do this. That, that there's not one ounce of me that believes them. Really? <laughs> I right? Haven't we been conditioned to like the the non-apology apology or the, the yeah. denial uh, and um. There's so much about this story that's weird, but that press conference was almost surreal to watch. Mm. 
uh, as he's talking about, well, I did do it to be Michael Jackson, but I, that picture is not of me. It's all just crazy. Well, okay, so let's let's play that audio because his his explanation uh, concludes in a in a pretty strange way. So let's let's listen to that right now. I had uh, the shoes. I had a, a glove, uh, and I used just a little bit of shoe polish to put under my or on my cheeks. And the reason I used a very little bit is because I don't know if anybody's ever tried that, but you cannot get shoe polish off. But but it was a it was a, a dance contest. I had always liked Michael Jackson. Uh, I actually won the contest because I had learned how to do the moonwalk. Are you still able to moonwalk? Uh, inappropriate circumstances. My wife says inappropriate circumstances. Oh my word! My wife says it's, inappropriate circumstances, and I would agree with her. What what are you what are you doing, man? It's, it's just brutally painful. And spinning this forward, like you know, who knows exactly what he's going to do or has done? It changes seems like every hour. Um, there's part of me that doesn't like this one thing about our culture, hmm. and that is that we're digging up yearbook photos from when we're eighteen, thirty years ago, instead okay. of saying what is this person's track record. Sure. Um, like, I don't want this guy to be governor more because of what he said about abortion last week sure. uh, than anything else. Um, and so there's that aspect of it, because this seems to be the thing. I remember last year watching the uh, the Major League Baseball All-Star game and the guy won the uh, one of the guys won the MVP. And all of a sudden they're pulling out old tweets from him. And, yeah, and right. There, there's something about what. Well, yeah, I guess holding people accountable, but also it feels like we've gone really far. It feels like we've gone really far. But but secondly, it's it's such a way that our culture works of like trying to make excuses and run and cover up. Yeah. Whereas I would respect this guy so much if he said, hey, I really messed up. Well, like, and if, the consequences are going to be what they be, but I, I messed up. Yeah. If, you, if you're just joining us, we're talking about the uh, Virginia governor, Ralph Northam, who claims he's actually not in blackface or in those KKK photos in his yearbook. And I, I think you bring up an interesting point. Uh, what is there a statute of limitations when it comes to these things? Whether it's a bad idea versus it's illegal. Like I, I I've been a, a part of a couple of churches where uh, someone in leadership disqualified themselves, yep. and the elders had to make the announcement to the congregation: this person will no longer serve in this capacity. And and every time the outcry is, "What about grace? What about forgiveness?" And one of the things that I've had to learn to say is, "He's been forgiven, yes. but he's disqualified himself from leadership." But that was because of something that he was doing currently and i think your point is at what point is digging up stuff from 30 40 50 years helpful uh is it due diligence and, and what other what other points is it maybe it's just muckraking it's yeah. just it's just uh not helpful to the current body of work or the current like i you know i'm really grateful there wasn't facebook or youtube when i was in high school yes. i don't know about you but like that now i wasn't doing anything like what no. you know what the accusations are against him but like i'm certainly glad there's not a digital record of me doing yes. those things and i feel like I'm okay with this also being disqualifying to him, yeah. right? If I'm not one who should say whether this is bad or good, like I'm, I'm not an African American guy who's who's had to put up with this over the years. Good. I totally get that. I think what's even for me what's as disqualifying is the fact that he just won't own up and he just won't be truthful. Yes, totally. And I'm so tired of our politicians and pastors and everybody. Yes, we live in a culture where we're, where it seems like it's okay not to be truthful to try to cover your tracks. Right. Whatever happened, and, and this is where it spins forward pastorally. Like people own your garbage, ask forgiveness, let there be consequences, and allow truth to be truth. Yeah. If if he would just say, you know what. That was stupid. Yep. I, it, I had opinions and thoughts and beliefs that were toxic, 
I made yep. really, really bad decisions. I humbly ask your forgiveness. I don't know, man. That that would have such tremendous impact, at least for me. And the thing that actually drives me really crazy is how so often second chances are determined on a person's like market value, yeah. right? We we give athletes second chances, but only if they're like a really talented athlete or politicians or you know. Pa- I mean, yep. obviously, we need to be a people of second, third, fourth chances, yep. right? That's that's the nature of grace. On the other hand, though, I think we also need to show that, like, yeah, sometimes certain behaviors have very dire consequences. Yeah. And as people of faith, we need to stand up for the marginalized and the oppressed. And as you said, you know, I, I haven't walked a mile in those shoes, but that that is something that I think we need to be diligent about saying, no, that's not that's not okay. And if that is an indication of maybe your current state, then then let's talk about that. Yeah, it's so hard when people just get on their high horses and politicians are easy to poke at. But on Twitter, after this came out, politician after politician saying he must resign. And yeah. you're just like, I know why you're doing this. But then also Northam running ads against Gillespie in the governor race, just painting, like playing the yes. race card. And now you've got this in the background. For me, th- to put a bow on it, this is everything wrong with politics. And it's a, it's a microcosm of a lot of what's wrong with our culture. Right. Well, it's obviously complicated. I think people probably have a lot of opinions. And we'd love to hear yours. If you want to join us on Facebook at the Common Good Radio Show, we'd love to hear your interactions, your feedback as we talk uh, further about this. Coming up next, though, the Super Bowl is now behind us. Pretty boring game with a couple of interesting commercials, but one commercial in particular that kind of made my stomach churn. So we're going to talk about that coming up next on The Common Good here on AM 1160. Hope for your life. Welcome back to The Common Good. My name is Ian Simpkins along with Brian Fromm, a show all about diving into the mess the icky, sometimes the stuff that doesn't have easy conclusions, but also the stuff that we share in common. Just the things about what it means to live in this thing called life. Like, that's complicated when we look at the news and social media and TV and all that. There's so many voices, so much noise. How do we cut through the noise and actually like ask thoughtful questions, engage hopefully in, in helpful dialogue? And we'd love to engage in that dialogue with you. You can find us on Facebook at The Common Good Radio Show. That's The Common Good Radio Show. You can also go to uh, 1160hope.com. All the previous podcasts are there, and you can listen to previous shows, and we'd love to interact with you there. But if uh, if you were under a rock yesterday, <laughs> which we, I have a newborn at home, so I was almost. Um, yesterday was the Super Bowl. Yes. Kind of an uh, unremarkable it's game. Weird. Like I, A lot of people justifying it by, like, we love defense, and there was some defense of strategy yeah, in this. Sure. It was a lot of bad offense. <laughs> it man. really was. And i got to be honest, for Bears fans out there, that had to be hard to watch because of Cody Parkey, not yes. to bring up bad stuff. He makes that field goal. You go to the Rams the I next know, week. I know. That's a winnable game. Now you're – I don't know. You could you can paint a picture where the Bears come and they're playing last night and then New England's not playing well. Um but yeah, an, an underwhelming game. Let's, yeah. let's leave it at that. Totally. An underwhelming game. Well, and if uh, if you've ever watched the Super Bowl, you know that it's not just about the game. It's nope. also about the halftime show, which had all sorts of controversy surrounding that. Also, anecdotally, though, I did just read that Maroon 5 donated their entire $500,000 Super Bowl feed to a children's charity. Oh, that's cool. So regardless of your opinion of them or the performance, if you yep. can call it that, like... That's some good in the world. I, I appreciate that. But the halftime show is where I have begun to feel uh, old. <laughs> like it, I used to be the 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 target audience for the halftime show. I get that I'm not anymore. So like, um, yeah, but all the songs they played are 20 years old, though. That's like that's true. I mean, how that's many of those true. songs did you know? I knew most of them, which is not usually the case when it comes to pop music for There's me. There's some truth to that, but yeah. 
I just we'll leave it at I start to feel old at the halftime show. <laughs> That's fair. <laughs> but one of the things that a lot of people talk about uh, are the Super Bowl commercials. Mm. Uh, you know that these commercials have a massive price tag just even to get airtime, and so they, you know, writers and actors they pull out all the stops and. There, I mean, there were some, there were some duds. There were some real winners. Like yep. I thought, uh, I thought Microsoft's commercial was like really brilliantly done. In fact, that the quote from that commercial that I loved, I tweeted it, uh, was that when everybody plays, we all win, right? Mm. And they were designing um, consoles for uh, people with different abilities and uh, disabilities, yeah, yeah, yeah. and it was, uh, it was like heartwarming. And I, wa- I was like, yeah, that yes, let's use technology towards things like that. Like that, that actually filled yeah. my heart with hope. And I don't know, did, did you have any commercials that made you? feel that way at all yeah there one and i don't even remember if it was for anything or if it was just thinking first responders but um the one where the coach of the chargers anthony lynn uh is talking about his accident where he should have died and he's like i got you know thrown from my car i think he said 40 feet and then the 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 people who saved him actually walk in and introduce themselves and he it's a very real moment he immediately cries uh, as I get older, I find myself tearing up at those types of things and like, okay, there, there's a goodness in people and that's awesome. And that, so that was probably my favorite one. And people are learning that about me. I got a text, uh, I think from my brother-in-law going, mm. did you cry during that commercial? <laughs> oh, maybe. <laughs> See, I don't know if this is just fatherhood. I cry at everything now. Yes. So a well, a well-written commercial, <laughs> give we'll me 15 you. seconds. It'll get me. Yeah, no, that, that, that was probably my favorite. I love the NFL one, too, with all the old players where they're all trying to get the ball. Yeah. And they're diving into the cake and all that. I thought that one was really well done. But kind of underwhelming. Like the game, I felt the commercials were. Yeah, not, eh. no, like, big winner. There's a commercial that I want to I talk about, though, and I want to get your take on it a little bit. Yep. It was uh, from a frozen fruit company called Devour. Mm-hmm. And uh, full disclosure, I, I saw the uncensored, uncut version before the Super Bowl. Okay. So I had already... I, I saw it through that lens, so I was already set up to just not like it. But if uh, if you saw it, it was kind of this. Uh, it was playing off of this idea of like a, a, an addiction, yes, um, but in a in a particularly sexual way. And the uncut version is like a- absolutely stomach churning. Like it is so. So the thing that I posted last night was um, making light of things like this is exactly what makes them such a problem. What's that? Such a such a danger and. Um, you know, I, I, just like the internet, like people were divided, like, oh, you're, you're overthinking it or you're, and other people were like, apps totally agree. And I don't, I don't know if you saw it or not, or if you saw the uncut version, but I, I did not, thoughts. I did not see the uncut version, but it's funny that you brought it up because you and I, we knew we were going to talk about the commercials a little bit today. Uh, and that's the one I wrote down that made me really angry You know, mm-hmm. watching it with my son. I watched it with all my kids, but particularly having my son there. And, uh, I felt like it, it made uh, fun of and light of pornography addiction. Yeah. And I just think that is so dangerous in our culture because, like you said, um, that seems to be one of the addictions that we normalize. And we're like, no, not actually a big deal. Is right. that actually an addiction? And, and to like – to like normalize it and say, oh, it's kind of like having an addiction to three-minute uh, devour food or whatever. Right. I was I found myself really angry about it because I think as pastors you and I deal with a lot of people uh who have felt the effects of pornography yes, addiction yes. in their lives or in their marriages or in with in their families uh it's a big deal and the more I love the way you put it because the more that our culture makes it not a big deal 
it, it, the more it normalizes it, the less people think it's got to be something to worry about. When in reality, especially with our kids and the access they have on the Internet as they get older, it's an enormous deal. Yeah. Well, and you hit the nail on the head, too. We're, we're both pastors, right? Mm-hmm. So uh, it took me a second to realize, why am I so fired up about this? Yeah. Oh, because I've actually sat down with couples before uh, whose marriages are, are essentially being dismantled by this addiction. It's, so it's not this... This uh, making light of something, and I, I'm sure that I've joked about inappropriate things yep. ten times today. Like this is not a high horse situation. I, I, I'm repenting for ever making fun of things like this, where somebody else in the room maybe quietly was like, oh, "That's my, that's my yep. vice, that's yep. my thing." So sh- shame on me for not being more mindful of that. But I watched that though, and I couldn't, I couldn't help but think of the men that I've counseled, the couples that I've like prayed with and cried with, who were like legitimately. Not sure if they were going to make it yeah. because of this very real problem, and and I think I think you're right. It's not it's not saying like oh no one has this problem. It's saying this problem isn't actually a problem. The normalizing, yes. the making light of, which is such a tendency for us, right? Mm-hmm. Not just in this particular commercial or this particular topic. Like we tell ourselves that's part of our internal script. Like ah, it's not that big of a deal. Or yeah. we compare ourselves to the guy next to us. So like well, at least I'm not that guy. At least yeah. I'm not that girl. This normalizing and making light of things that. At, at their core are toxic to us right. is is such a dangerous road to begin journeying down, I think. It's absolutely true. And like you said, like, yes, we all have to look in the mirror and be like, well, I've made fun of this, but this is actually a brand putting a million dollars or something into going, this is our vehicle to sell food. Right. Uh, that takes it to a whole nother level. And if you're out there, like if you're a guy and you're like, oh, come on, pornography is not a big deal. It's a huge deal. Uh, it's it's abusive to women. Uh, the whole trade is crazy, but it also uh, will affect you in ways that I'm not even sure we quite understand yet as a culture. And the billions of dollars that's made off it says that it's just not seen as a big deal within our culture, like you would look at drug addiction or alcohol addiction or anything else. And we're only beginning to see the effects of it. Well, and if you are listening and you or someone you know uh, finds himself in that place, there's a ton of great resources out there. There's a lot of great um, apps and stuff that you can install in your browsers. I also know there's a church called triplexchurch.com. It's true. Uh, xxchurch.com. They have all sorts of resources and um, all, uh, it's a really brilliantly um, kind of curated site for people that just want to get out from under this addiction. And yes. so I, I can't encourage you enough. Um, don't let these things sort of glaze past us. It, these are issues in our culture. Um, sometimes it's worth laughing at things. and Other times it's worth saying, nope, that's not worth making a joke about. This is a very real problem Absolutely. that we need to go after. Well, coming up next, we're going to talk about a topic that's close to my heart. We're going to talk about homeschoolers. <laughs> if you don't know, uh, I was homeschooled for most of my childhood. And the, uh, the story that we found is addressing the issue of uh, homeschool fitness. Like, without a recess or a gym class, uh, what are the challenges, um, particularly when it comes to our fitness, in uh, raising homeschooled kids? So we're going to talk about that coming up next on The Common Good at AM 1160. Hope for your life. Ryan dances every time to this song. The dancing is getting worse, I think. Is, uh, that, is that possible? Probably. I think I'm just <laughs> feeling more free, but I love this song. <laughs> it's, it's creepy. Judgment. It's a creepy song, but it's, I like it. It's an understatedly creepy. More. I wish more people recognized how creepy that song yeah. actually is. Well, welcome to The Common Good. My name is Ian Simpkins, along with Brian Fromm, the show all about diving in. Not only the stuff that we have in common, but the stuff that's tough to talk about, the mess, the tension, the gray, 
And uh, we'd love to hear from you. You can find us on Facebook at The Common Good Radio Show. That's The Common Good Radio Show. You can also go to 1160hope.com. All the previous shows are there. We'd love to interact with you uh, in any way that you like. And the story that I came across, Brian, is one that's near and dear to my heart, Mm -hmm. being a homeschooler. And uh, here's the title. It says, No Sweat. That's an issue for homeschooled children. So it's a story that comes out of Texas. Yeah. It's talking about some of the issues with uh, homeschooling, which I didn't realize homeschooling is like on the rise right now. It is. Which is new information to me. It was not cool at all when I was a kid. Yeah. Uh, But this idea of just general physical activity, it's typically built into most like public school structures. So what are the issues that these families are facing with their kids not getting enough sunlight I could get enough physical activity. Like it's a pretty fascinating story. Although interestingly, um, my wife before we had kids was an elementary school PE teacher, hmm. and uh, so this is something we've talked about, and it comes up in this article too. That I think this is an epidemic for public school kids as well. Oh, interesting. The recess is starting to be shorter, go away, a little less gym class, um, and and kids, and then they come home and they're on their devices and they're right. inside playing video games. Um, not to sound like the old guy who's like, back in my day, we used to always be outside. But I do think that it takes a little bit more intentionality, especially in a Chicago winter, to like get kids active and acclimated. But before we jump any more into that, uh, I want to get a little feel uh, for your homeschool life. Yeah. Like uh, learning about you. We're almost at a month, by the way. This week, this show will be a month old. No kidding. And... um, Learning about you and your background, I'm, I, you, you've told us multiple times that you were homeschooled. Do you feel like that was a, in all honesty, was that a good thing, or is that something you look back on fondly in your life, or do you go, man, I kind of wish I had the school experience? What was yeah. it like for you? Yeah, I, I look fondly now. I didn't at the time. I, I went to public school up to fifth grade. Oh, okay. Um, and by fifth grade, I, I was already getting into fights. Like I was already starting to show a little bit of a, a, a track record. Uh, of a trajectory that may not have been all that helpful mm. and massive props to my parents. Cause I think they saw that. And what, what they told me is that we, we want to be, we want to ingrain these Christian values like deep in your heart early on. Like, mm. and we want to be responsible for that. So when they, when they pulled me out, uh, it was pretty devastating. Cause I was, you know, at like that peak awkward stage of like friends and puberty and all this other stuff. And, yep. um, there was so little protection, uh, at least publicly known for homeschool families. So I was like, I was kicked off the track team. I wasn't allowed to go to the dances. I would like sneak in for the dances. You know, wow. I would, it was, I had to like, I felt like a, like a spy in some cases. And so it was a very strange balance for me. And I'm the oldest of seven kids. So there okay. was a lot of activity in our house. Never had to really worry about that. Yeah. Um, and I did play some team sport. I was never very good though. So it was, it's hard to enjoy doing some of that stuff when you're just not that good. But I, you know, I did soccer, I did karate. I, right. I got to do some weird stuff like fencing for a little bit. My, uh, my grandpa, who is just this, this brilliant thinker, builder, carpenter, designer, uh, he would have us to his house. We would not only like mow grass, but he would like teach us about stuff. He'd teach oh, us cool. about like engines and motors and these old tools and new tools and, um, my parents were a part of a homeschool co-op that we'd yep. go to once a week. So, you know, like equipment that we didn't have at home, like, you know, expensive microscopes and um, like photo developing labs and stuff. But it was also a chance to like meet other people. But honestly, and this is going to sound cliche, the church kind of saved my life in that regard because mm. that's where I like found my my friend group. It's where I like really discovered um, playing music. And so I started playing in bands, which <laughs> led to some unhelpful places eventually later in my life. Yep. But at the time though, it's like, that's sort of how I 
kind of came into my own a little bit and found activity and events and the church was always doing something um, that got us out of the house yeah. and we actually enjoyed doing it. So that that was really helpful for us at least. I feel like I always had a bad view of homeschoolers. I feel like um, I grew up in the public school and I always had a sense that homeschool people were like, uh, we have to protect our children from the big bad world yeah, right, out there right. and that there was, there was always a really weirdness. And truth be told, like – you know, reputations come from somewhere. Yeah. And so, uh, but as I've gotten older and gotten kids and kind of gotten to know people who homeschool the kids for the vast majority of them, I really respect them and they're doing some really cool things and it takes a lot of work. Uh, so I've grown in my respect for people uh, who have that intentionality and that ability totally. um, because we love the public school where we are in Downers Grove, but you know, everyone's got to make their own choices. Yep. Um, and I think the picture I painted in my mind when I was younger and growing up, like, is not actually how homeschooling works. And mm. so, um, people doing what they think is best for their kids, and that's awesome. And look, you turned out great. <laughs> I mean, great doing fencing great. and karate. <laughs> you're doing. You're, you're like, you're... what a dweeb. No, it is. I, I do got to say though, too, my parents, I, I really think, did an exceptional job with homeschooling because mm. I have seen some of the caricatures that you're mentioning. Yeah, that those stereotypes do come from somewhere, and I think our parents from very early on taught us to think critically, um, to be respectful, but to also question yeah. well, you know, even, even as I met other homeschoolers, as I got older thinking like, Oh, you homeschool different than, than we homeschool, even just to the point where like, if we had uh, like a really, like a really brilliant day on Wednesday and the weather was great. Um, we take, can we just go outside and play? My mom would say, you can take this day to play and then do work on Saturday. They gave mm. us the freedom to like move stuff around based on, and into adulthood, like that was such a helpful skill to learn mm. to see all of life as learning, like to yeah. spend time with grandpa for three hours learning about a motor and then come home and ask, do, I, do we still have a bunch of work to do? And she said, well, did you learn some stuff? And we'd say, mm. yeah. And she's well, then you learn. That's like to see all of life as an opportunity to learn awesome. and to grow is a skill. I remember like freaking out when I wasn't learning the exact same things that my peers were in public school. My mom, I'll never forget. She said, it's less about what you know and more about knowing how to get the information you need. That mm. will carry you well. And she was so right. Like that's been such a helpful lesson for me to not freak out about, you know, not always having the right answers, but like to learn to think critically, to research well. And um, I'm just, I, honestly now at 35, I'm really, really grateful. I'm grateful. Did for you guys feeling. take holidays? Like obviously Christmas and this and that, but like yes, the public sorta. school, right? You have off these days, you get spring break, summer vacation. Like, did you get those? It was all kind of fluid, to be honest. Like, yeah. when people talk about, I remember, you know, when people say, oh, in seventh grade this or in ninth grade that, I don't really have those memories because mm. everything kind of <laughs> bleeds together a little bit. But but it also, it taught, like, such camaraderie in my family. Because I'm the oldest of seven, um, not only did I often have to, like, you know, just teach myself, yeah. but I often would teach the younger ones if my mom had an issue with one of the middle ones or, you know, required extra attention and that was a helpful foundation for us because it like ingrained in us like this is what family does like yeah. we're in this together we have each other's back and um, I think that's just part of who my parents are but homeschooling in a lot of ways like laid that foundation for us and I'm I'm really really grateful for it that's cool and going back to this article uh, I don't think it's in fact I think you said the flexibility in homeschooling allows you to be outside more and to do more activities I think this is a kid issue of our day yep. It is a kid issue of not being active enough. Public school, private school, homeschool, get your kids off their devices and get them outside and get them playing. Well, and, and Tracy commented on our, uh, our Facebook post, and she said uh, her kids are they're outdoors almost every day to explore and play, and they have so much fun. We have a, a gym time 
at the Yellow Box every Friday. Mm-hmm. But she also said that there's uh, a bunch of great local businesses that have classes for homeschoolers Monday through Friday. Oh, wow. Which I wasn't aware of. So oh. maybe a quick Google research uh, will bring up some stuff if you're looking for stuff in your area and to do with your homeschoolers. Thanks Absolutely. for that, that comment, Tracy. That's cool. You, you can find us, too, on Facebook at The Common Good Radio Show. That's The Common Good Radio Show. Uh, coming up next... We're going to interview my friend Sherry, who has put together a conference called the Together Conference uh, that's all about investing in your most important relationships and tickets for that conference end today. So you're not going to miss it. That's coming up next on AM 1160. Hope for your life. Oh, man, everyone's dancing now. Welcome back to The Common Good. My name is Ian Simpkins, along with Brian Fromm, a show all about Diving into the mess, the gray, the stuff that doesn't have easy answers, because if we're honest, that's where all of us live most of our lives. And uh, if you want to join us on Facebook, you can find us at the Common Good Radio Show. We'll be posting articles and hosting discussions and all sorts of good stuff there. You can also go to 1160hope.com. You can find all of our previous shows there. We'd love to get your feedback. You can subscribe for us on uh, any podcast platform that you so desire. On your mobile device. On your mobile device, which is how Brian talks about cell phones now, apparently. (laughs) Mobile devices and sundials. (laughs) Well, in the studio, we have a very special guest. It's my good friend, Sherry Banky. Sherry Banky, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me here. And that music was pretty puppy. I was dancing along to it, that's for sure. But thank you so much for having me. Oh my gosh, it's our pleasure. And the reason that we have you here is because you are the genius behind a conference that we're hosting in just a couple of weeks called the Together Conference. Would you just tell our listeners a little bit about the Together Conference, why the Together Conference, your heartbeat behind the conference, and what it's all about? Absolutely. Uh, The Together Conference is actually going to be on Saturday, February 9th, which is really just a few days away. (laughs) (laughs) So not a couple weeks. And people can register. If they're interested in registering, registration closes today. Today, got it. And so it's at communitychristian.org slash together. That's the best place to go, communitychristian.org. Dot org slash together. And my heartbeat behind this conference really is probably about three different avenues. Mm. Um, First one is it's it's just about uh, our most important relationships, our most important relationships from a marriage perspective and and parenting. Mm. These are just, this is a core value uh, within all communities are our families. Mm. And they do come in all shapes and sizes, but man, these are our most important relationships. And so my heart beats fast for just that subject matter in general. But I also think what fuels that is uh, my experience growing up. Mm. Um, I was uh, experienced divorce when I was six years old. My parents got divorced when I was six. Mm. And that was a a decision they made over 40 years ago. And as an adult, I absolutely understand why they got divorced. I get it. Mm. And, And it was the right decision. However, at the age of six... It really had a ripple effect that affected every one of my relationships up until today. Wow. And uh, both my parents have since passed away, but that mm. decision still affects my kids. Yeah, right. And it'll affect my grandkids as wow. well. Yeah. Uh, so this marriage conference, uh, who would be best to go? Is it the person who's sitting there going, man, my marriage is hanging on by a string right now? Or is it the person going, hey, we are newlyweds and we're rocking it. I, I can't imagine not being with this person. Uh, who do you hope uh, will respond and, and go to this conference? Oh my goodness, that's a great question. And man, 
I hate to say all the above, but yep. that's exactly what it is. It's all the above. I think of a young couple that came last year and they were engaged and they mm. uh, registered that day to attend this year as a newlywed couple because wow. they recognize the importance of intentionally investing in their most important relationship. And then if you're a couple that thinks you need help, guess what you do? <laughs> 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 so yeah, come and check it out. One, it's going to be fun. Yeah. But two, you're going to get some tools that you can put in that tool chest that will really help you thrive in your most important relationships. Awesome. Can you, can you talk to us a little bit about the speakers and the workshops? Like what could someone expect to, you know, to Brian's question, there's a, a whole different myriad of people at different life stages, different situations. Like, sure. Talk to us about the speakers and yeah. the breakouts. What yeah. That, what that looks so like. it is a full day. So it starts at nine in the morning, ends at three in the afternoon. Two main sessions where you're going to get the first main session is going to be Jeff and Sherry Surratt. Nice. And then that closing session is Carlos Whitaker, both great keynote speakers. They're yeah. going to just give you some great enthusiasm for your, your relationships. But in between those sessions, there's over 36 to 40 different breakouts that you can attend. So you have three different opportunities to attend these breakout sessions that go anywhere from um, where do babies come from? I'll let you figure (laughs) out maybe what that one's about. Um, But we also have a breakout session that's led by some friends of mine who will um, talk about forgiveness and Mm. the art of forgiveness, the power of forgiveness, and help walk us through that. I think we all could use some help on how to forgive across all our relationships, yeah, no kidding. right? Yeah. And man, we talk, I think we value that. How do we practically do that? Totally. Is it a whole nother ball game? Totally. And man, uh, we have a breakout session that will help walk you through that process. Or ho- hopefully you can leave and feel like you have some traction yes. in that subject matter. That's awesome. I feel like, Ian's got that newborn look at home right now, like all tired. He's like, where did this baby come from? Exactly. <laughs> I'm probably my 15th cup of coffee as well. I, I want to know the answer We're to that scratching question. scratching our head and asking the same questions, right? <laughs> How in the world? Um, so we all agree around, the, around this table that marriage is hugely important and, yeah. and something that the church should view differently, yeah. right, than our culture. What do you think are the greatest stresses on marriages right now? What are mm. you hoping... Um, yeah, what are the greatest stresses on marriages? The greatest opinion? stresses on marriages. Well, and first of all, we can be honest with statistics. People in church aren't staying married any better than yeah. people outside the church. So that breaks my heart initially yeah. right there. Mm. Um, but some stresses are just our time mm-hmm. and, and how just intentional time of just actually strengthening our relationships and being intentional about that. Yeah. Um, the stress of just money. Yeah, um, yep. that's a that's a red flag right there, and we do have a breakout that addresses that stress. We also know parenting and differences of parenting um, affect how our marriages thrive, mm. and also our family of origins. Man, what we mm. experienced growing up as a kid, a good or bad or indifferent, really influences how we look into our current relationships and how that affects us. Yes, and so there's some key point things that man. We could use some tools on how to kind of work through those hurdles that really prevent us from thriving in our relationships. Yeah, I know awesome. for my wife and I, we've been married now 19 years, wow. which makes me feel old. But um, <laughs> we got married when we were 10. Obviously. But, you know. Yeah, sure. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I just know that I love my wife to death and our marriage uh, is super strong, sure. but it's super strong because of the work we've done on it, right? right? So on sabbatical this summer, our church paid for us to go to counseling. That's awesome. Uh, on the front end so yeah. they wouldn't have to pay for it on the back end. So exactly. if I can encourage people, you might be sitting out there going, well, my marriage is great. What do I yep. need to conference for? You need it because your marriage is great and to keep your marriage yeah. great. So. Yeah, I would agree. It seems like 
at least whenever I kind of scanned the, let's look out there. How do we help our families? How do we help our couples? And it does seem to be, man, once there's a crisis, we seek kind of professional help. Right. Mm. But before that, we don't really do something until, you know, there's a crisis or there does seem to be some real turbulence in our marriage. Mm-hmm. And sometimes we do a lot of damage in that turbulence. It's mm. really hard to overcome. And so um, this is really one of those annual events similar to like that, you know, hey, time to get your oil changed in your car. Yeah, Let's right. do some routine maintenance. I think the same is true for our relationships. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Well, Sherry, okay, so you're not only the, uh, the genius behind this conference. You're also a part of our small groups team, but yes. you also, you're a preacher, you're a pastor. Yeah. Would, would you just in like 30 seconds or less cast some vision for this conference? We've talked about, you know, who it's for and the speakers and the breakouts. Like what's, sure. what's sort of like your heartbeat coming out of this? Like cast, cast a vision for someone listening, thinking maybe they're on the fence signing up or attending. Yeah. Cast some vision for that. Yeah. Well, first of all, this is for all couples of all ages and stages in their relationship from somebody who is engaged to even those empty nesters. And gosh, if you have kids, you're going to be a grandparent someday as well. So these are really important relationships. Yeah. And so I think the vision is that, man, sometimes it can be a drag yeah. to kind of do this. And we want it to be fun. We want this to be something that somebody invested in on a regular basis. It's fun to do this. Don't wait till a crisis. Mm. Let's do this today. That's so good. Sherry, yeah. thank you so much thank you. for coming to the studio, joining us. You can go to communitychristian.org slash together. Tickets uh, closed today. Today. Registration closed today at 1159. So So make that happen. Make it a priority. We would love to see you there at the Yellow Box in Naperville. Sherry, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you. Well, coming up next, we're going to talk about confirmation bias. Is that part of the problem when it comes to these chasms that we see in social media and our social circles? So that's coming up right here on AM 1160. Hope for your life. It's time for a conversation about the things we share in common. Our common hopes our common fears, our common struggles. Together, we'll wrestle with the questions that we all have about the issues that affect our lives. This is The Common Good. Now, here are your hosts, Brian Fromm and Ian Simpkins. Common good friends. My name is Ian Simpkins, along with Brian Fromm. Uh, the show all about diving into the mess, tension, the gray, the stuff that doesn't have easy answers. And uh, this next topic is a perfect example of that. Yes. We'd love to hear from you. You can find us on Facebook at the Common Good Radio Show or on 1160hope.com. All the previous shows are there. You can also find us podcasted on Apple Podcasts or anywhere else that you listen to your podcast. But this this story in particular, Brian, comes from Pathios. And I want to just read the headline because I think there's so much packed in just the headline. It says, politics isn't killing us, confirmation biases. Mm. Politics isn't killing us, confirmation biases. And the, and the, the writer goes on to explain uh, about an article that he wrote in response to the, uh, the Covington Catholic Boys uh, story from last week, uh, maybe two weeks ago now, right. where uh, little bits of video kept getting released. And then the right would jump on it, and the left would jump on it, and the right would jump on it. And it just was like watching this this social media like ping pong yep. of screaming matches of these echo chambers and confirma- confirmation biases just getting stronger and stronger and stronger. And so his sort of a assertion in this story is politics isn't the issue. It's not even media that's the issue. It's us looking at any story or any data 
with the desire to simply verify or validate what I already believe so that I can yell a little bit louder. Yep. And I think they are 100% right. You just think you, when you and I talked about the Covington Catholic High School story, the, one of the points we made was that we knew exactly what different people, how they would land on it right. based on their confirmation bias. And I'd agree that politics isn't the issue. Media is not the issue. But I would say that media increasingly in our culture has been set up to feed particular confirmation biases, oh, for sure. whether it be Fox News or MSNBC uh, or whatever else it might be. And um, they are feeding into those confirmation biases, which is only making it worse. Uh, but this is what is really dangerous, right? We all look at things and we think that we look at it with a clear mind when, in fact, we are looking at it with, with a confirmation bias that says, I'm going to see it this way and you're going to see it this way and we're going to yell at a cross at each other right. rather than try to understand each other. Well, we include ourselves in that we yes. as well, right? Like we, you know, uh, like worldviews are like glasses, right? There are things that we look through, not at. And I'm not usually aware of the fact that I'm wearing glasses because I'm looking through them. I think worldviews and confirmation biases are the same way. We often like to think that I'm the, I'm the one objective party. I'm not seeing mm-hmm. through a particular lens. I'm, I'm seeing it for what it actually is, which is what I think often fuels some of our aggression. And there's one line in the story that I just loved. He said, uh, empathy cannot coexist with confirmation bias. They are oil and water. So, so for him, the counter to confirmation bias is empathy, which is sounds good on paper, but when we're really fired up about an issue or a topic or a person, man, to in any way even try to empathize can be really, really difficult. And maybe not even just difficult, sometimes not desirable. Like, I don't want to empathize with that person. Right. That person needs needs to burn, right? Like, how do we get to a point of empathy when, like you said, it's not even – with a lot of media outlets, it seems less about it being right and more about it being fast. Yeah. Like, get the story out there, and then we'll make corrections on the fly if we have to. When that happens over and over and over again, and we're just sort of predisposed to like this website or to like this news source or to like this anchor, like, is there hope for empathy in the midst of all this craziness? I think part of it is part of the importance is realizing that empathy is not a synonym for agreement. Oh, that's good. Like, we don't, when we say I'm going to empathize with people, it doesn't mean I have to roll over and always say, oh, okay, you're right. No, I can vehemently disagree with you, but this article, right, this author says this, I write this as a warning. If we don't start displaying some actual tolerance and empathy for other perspectives, we have little hope of getting this nation headed forward hmm. towards progress. I wow. think a lot of times we think if we are uh, empathetic towards someone, then we are being complicit or we are being agreeing with them. It doesn't need to be the case. Part of it is just Jesus said, love your enemies, <laughs> uh, love <laughs> yeah. your neighbors, treat people well. Yeah. The question is, do we treat people well that we disagree with? Right. That's what empathy is. It's me and you. You and I don't agree on everything. Right. It's us being able to say, hey, let's talk about it. And in the end, I might say, I I disagree with you, right. or right, a few good men, right, or I vehemently disagree with <laughs> right, you, right? right. Um, but we've done it in a cordial, civil way, and there's not much in our culture that is set up for civility. Yeah, right. You don't turn on Fox News or turn on um, MSNBC or listen to any politicians on either side or whatever and go, well, at least you're having a civil discourse. Right. And that makes its way down. Twitter adds to this, Facebook, all of these things add to this, where it's usually just who can yell the loudest, 
uh, and and there's not a great value on empathy. I have felt that even in starting a radio show. Yeah, right. Like, how do you grow a radio show? It's to get really angry and yell about one side <laughs> yeah, and, right, right. and kind of play in the people's confirmation biases instead of saying, you know what? There's a middle ground here. Let's have that conversation right. and at least try to understand the other people. That's where there's great value. And, you know, I think they're right that that's one of the problems with our nation right now. And that's why we feel like there's no hope. People are running to their polls because they are running to their polls and just yelling at each other instead of trying to hear each other. And I think empathy, another huge part of empathy is presuming that the other person has, you know, good interests in mind. Yeah. You and I could disagree on some political thing, and it doesn't mean that you're going to hell and you're trying to do crazy bad things to our country, but maybe we just disagree. Let's have that conversation. We so uh, often don't presume also um, best motives. Yeah. Well, and one of the things, one of the reasons that you and I can have a conversation is because we have a relationship. Right. Right. I, I know you. There's relational equity there and i think that has to be the starting point right like Brene brown says people are hard to hate up close Mm. like when you see a person or a people group you want to demonize often we want to like step back and throw stones she's saying maybe maybe it'd be helpful at times to to lean in right to actually have a conversation even if it's painful i think of my my brother in detroit he did this i I just think it's brilliant he uh in the fall for the election uh, he had he threw this like election party um, but entrance into the party, which was at his house, mm-hmm. was to bring someone with you who voted differently. Oh, wow. That was how you got into the party, so that you could actually have a conversation with real flesh and blood people about the stuff that we disagree with. And I just think, I think that's so possible. I think you hit the nail on the head too. That it has to start with like seeing the imago day in one another, seeing the shared humanity, assuming yeah. the best. I think it was Samuel Johnson. He said something like, "Kindness is in our power, even when fondness is not." Mm. Right? Like we can be kind, even if I don't really like you or agree yes. with you to start with that would i think be such a healing balm in our country like wow look at these two pastors or politicians or celebrities who totally disagree not just arguing on twitter but like spending time together like hearing each other's stories yeah. why do you feel that way how do you how do you come to this conclusion that would be i would i would pay to see that that would be yeah. remarkable don't you think yeah and i think within the church we our confirmation biases are a little different but equally as strong right like oh those progressive theologians over there, they're just trying to tear down everything that was orthodox and they're trying to, no, maybe they are trying to wrestle with some stuff and I should have a conversation with them. Oh, these ultra conservative theologians, we just take our political designations and put them into theological terms, right? but we still fight the exact same way. So they're that kind of church. They're that kind of church. I guess the real deal is if you find yourself often putting lots of labels on people, they're this, 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 you're going to have a hard time. Uh, seeing them as people and and relating and having empathy the way we talked and I think Jesus if he was he was strong he was truthful he was also empathetic yeah that's really good man I don't think it's the last time that we're going to have this particular conversation nope. but that's a lot of my hope and dream for this show I know it's yours too to actually kind of pull back the veil a little bit and get at the core of what's really going on when we have these discussions and have these arguments and that that really leads to what's coming up next uh, coming up next we're going to talk about outrage culture and why that's potentially really good news for the gospel. So that's coming up on The Common Good uh, on AM 1160, Hope for Your Life. Welcome to The Common Good. My name is Ian Simpkins, along with Brian Fromm, talking about stuff that's tough to talk about because, uh, well, I think we're all wrestling with those things. Let's dive in rather than shy away from the stuff that is complicated and messy and gray, and we'd love to hear from you. You can find us on Facebook at The Common Good Radio Show. That's The Common Good Radio Show. 
You can also go to 1160hope.com. Uh, all the previous shows are there, and you can listen uh, while you walk or drive, and you can also listen on your podcast devices uh, or <laughs> however else you listen to audio. The devices. <laughs> the devices are taking over the world. Uh, well, Brian, you, you found a story from Christianity Today that I think segues from what we were just talking about brilliantly. Why don't, why don't you let us uh, fill us in a little bit? Yeah, the again, this is at Christianity, ChristianityToday.com, and the article starts, Why Outrage Culture is Good News for the Gospel. So that'll pique your interest right there. Because even in our first couple of weeks here, we've decried um, this outreach cult, outrage culture that we live in, right? right? To define outrage culture is what we did last segment is basically this that we all are so easily outraged over stuff and we have our confirmation bias and we we constantly just want to be angry about things. And that's how Twitter, like that's the soil with which Twitter grows, that Facebook grows. Um, and, and, and often what this article says is, is that's always been something the church does. Mm. So we have this um, outrage culture within the church around a specific topic of moral relativism, uh, that we are standing up for the truth and that our culture is not, right. and that we're going to be outraged as they're going relativistic, pluralistic, and, and they're going against us, uh, and, and we're just going to be people of outrage. Well, and I, I think he, uh, the writer says a couple of really brilliant things about some of our tendencies from the pulpit to yep. make statements like, oh, everything is, that's just your truth, and this is just my truth, and he, he actually juxtaposes moral relativism with moral pluralism, mm. uh, and I think that's such an important distinction because... I the people that I know and interact with on both sides of every argument, it seems to be that they're hungry for the truth, like yeah. getting to the truth. And the thing that I find so fascinating is that both sides tend to argue uh, with words like sanctity and fairness. I see that mm. in a number of different issues, sanctity and fairness, um, politically, socially, religiously. And I think to say that like, oh, everyone's just sort of throwing up their hands like, oh, your truth is your. I don't yeah. I don't think that's actually true to uh, so like the current temperature of culture right now. And, and towards the end of the story. Uh, he says, in our conversations with unbelievers, we owe them the respect to try to understand their moral commitments and frustrations. Mm. I think that is such an important call because when we're not giving people the respect to to even voice their concerns, even if we totally disagree with the policy, like to me, nothing closes the door faster to like learning about Jesus and the Gospels and the life found therein. If I'm not even willing to listen to you, then right. I don't really want to know about your God. Yeah. Right? It- I guess it comes down to within our culture and within our Christian subculture is our greatest value always being right. Yeah, right. Is it always being right even to the detriment of uh, of relationship and and um making a connection with somebody. And so if it's always to be right then I don't care about what it does to that person. Yep. And I think it's again going back to our last segment, it's having an understanding that everybody's trying to figure these things out yeah like this is life is not just a game where one person's right one person's wrong one right. person wins one person loses uh and jesus jesus was morally outraged about lots of things in the gospel that's true but it's important to say how did he handle that yeah his greatest outrage was towards the religious people right, right? He's right. flipping tables in the temple Cracking all whips. this kind of stuff uh he i would say i'm not sure i'd use the word outrage but he was um he spoke truth into the life of of the adulterous woman. Yeah, but how did he do it? Yeah, right. Right. He used it as a way of lifting her up, of healing her brokenness, and then of pointing her away and, and inviting her to something greater. And so, uh, should we never be outraged about anything? No, we should. There are hills to die on. There are things that are right, and there are things that are wrong. Yep. But 
too often the church mirrors our culture in like, I'm just going to yell from my pulpit. And you're just going to have to deal with it, as opposed to doing the harder work of entering into people's lives that we may disagree with and having conversations and building relationship. Yep. And then, but but that's going to be our greatest evangelistic tool right there is getting into people's lives and helping them understand this truth of Jesus. And, and I think even before that, then, before going into relationship with the mission of helping them understand Jesus, going in with the posture of just loving and knowing them. Absolutely. Because right? I think people can sniff out when they're a project. I know I certainly can. Someone's trying to sell me something or they're trying to just fix me. Your whole motive for having coffee with me is just to, you know, to do some work in my soul. Right. Like, right. I, I think I think we need to give people credit that they can they can smell that out. But the, yeah. the article also mentions, though, that it's it's really difficult to have conversations, intelligent, thoughtful conversations with people if we just see them as immoral. Mm. Like you mentioned, right, that one of the easy ways that we demonize people is that we no longer use their name, right? Like you ask some, you know, someone like, hey, how is so-and-so? And they respond with, oh, you mean my ex? Yeah. Like, that person ceases <laughs> yes. to be a person. They're just this doer of evil. And I yep. think when it comes to politics and religion, we can do the same thing, right? Like, oh, you mean that character? That per-? Like it, it is a subtle dehumanizing of people we disagree with because it somehow at some level makes us feel better about our position. Yes. And that I think is part of the problem We're we're more concerned with holding on to what we believe the rightness of our position, or even dare I say the rightness of our theology, right? Like, Oh, those other, even within our own tribe, yeah. like, Oh, those stupid, you know, other denomination, yep. they totally miss what this verse means or what that passage talks about. And so we, we can demonize whole groups of people because our theological rightness is more important to us than closeness with Jesus. And I think that's mm. always a problem every single time. That's great. This article closes this way, but it does offer evangelistic opportunities. Our great commission was never to convince liberals that there are objective moral truths. Our neighbors already have a deep sense that something has gone terribly wrong in our world. Mm. In our conversations with unbelievers, we owe them the respect to try to understand their moral commitments and frustrations. They very well may be motivated to look for answers especially as they find that their best moral efforts frustrated. And it closes, our culture's moral indignation offers opportunities to proclaim Jesus' saving grace and direct people to the one who is truth, beauty, and goodness. That's good, man. Truth, beauty, and goodness, I don't know if you know, is the called the transcendentals oh. in the Catholic Church. And they're borrowing from Plato and Aristotle. And you know, tr- truth is sort of your, your doctrine piece, and, and beauty is sort of your aesthetic piece, and then and goodness is your your ethical piece, right? These are the things, these are the forms that transcend that uh, arguably every single person has an affinity for and something deeply ingrained in them. We would yeah. call that the Imago Dei, right? If, if God is these things, then it would make sense that at some level we have those things too. We long mm. for truth to prevail. We long to be captivated by beauty and we long for people to do good to each other and yes. to themselves. And I think, man, when you can start there, Rather than demonizing a position or a caricature or a political party and saying, okay, if I can assume that you actually also want these three things in the world, even though I disagree with you on maybe every single front, how can we have an intelligent conversation? How can we have a thoughtful conversation? Mm. Can we get a cup of coffee? I, I think that, in a lot of ways, is the way forward that we need to we need to strive toward. And I do, I mean, we say this in churches all the time, but yet our, our actions don't match our words. How many of us know people who've been outraged and shamed into the kingdom? Yeah, we don't. None. none. We don't. <laughs> but that's still our move, right? So it either says that the Great Commission isn't our priority, yeah, or we're just not willing to do the hard work of that which will bring about you know transformation right. and 
and point people to Jesus. As Christians, our goal can't just be to be the loudest and the most right. That's right. And uh, if that is, then the Great Commission is is going to be what suffers. People aren't going to come to Jesus. Right. We're, we're called to take a different tack towards people, not one that starts with outrage. That's right. No one can be shamed into transformation, but they absolutely can be loved into it. And you mm-hmm. and I have seen that over and over absolutely. and over again. Well, coming up next, we're going to tell two different stories about two different prisons with two uh, very different conclusions. You're not going to want to miss it. That's coming up next on The Common Good right here on AM 1160. Hope for your life. Welcome to The Common Good. My name is Ian Simpkins along with Brian Fromm. A show designed, really diving into conversations that a lot of us are having anyway. Uh, And what we've found is that a lot of times when we don't actually engage with dialogue, we just sort of get caught in our confirmation bias, right. and uh, we want to do some work to hopefully maybe like break up those uh, those walls a little bit for us to have an intelligent conversation. And we'd love to have a conversation with you as well. You can find us on Facebook at uh, the Common Good Radio Show or at eleven sixty hope dot com. All the previous shows are there, and you can podcast us if you like. We'd love to uh, to hear from you there. And uh, I want to tell a story, really two stories about two different prisons with two uh, very different outcomes. Yeah, it's interesting. Uh, A lot of you probably saw this over the weekend uh, about in a federal prison in Brooklyn, New York, where inmates were left without power, uh, and it says shivering in their cells for days. This has since been rectified, I believe, just this morning, but uh, it said they were sitting in their cold and dark cells Saturday because of a partial power outage, and it it raised up a big um, uh, kind of a an outcry that people were coming and being like, this is inhumane. Right. And uh, there was seemed to be part of the time that people, there was no work being done to try to, to rectify the situation. Uh, and then you've got these criminal, these, these guys who are inmates, I should say, right. Sitting there in cold cells, dark cells, they still had hot water and some other stuff. Um, but it just seemed like uh, to people, especially who have, loved ones in there yes uh that it was it was certainly less than desirable and at its worst it was just inhumane and lack of caring well I, what was haunting for me was the video there was a video that someone had taken on the streets where you could literally hear i mean this place houses more than 1600 inmates you could literally hear people like pounding on their external walls um like hoping and praying somebody hears them right like it's yep. just this wall of people who are in these Pretty brutal conditions, and it's you know it's winter time in New York, so it's not. It wasn't just the fact that the electricity was out; is that it was like it was cold. cold. And it maybe I just watched that video thinking, um, this this says a little something about the things that we value or the people that we value. And there's uh, again, we were just talking about this. There's a number of different stories and perspectives about you know how quickly people acted or didn't act, but like just listening to the cries of. Uh, a whole bunch of people in circumstances that just seemed absolutely brutal. And it kind of broke my heart. And I, you know, of course I made the mistake of like diving into the, the comments, uh, which I should, yep, I, I didn't need to stop doing that in general because there's just people yelling back and forth at each other. But it, it was like exactly what you said. Like, gosh, this feels so inhumane. Right? And I guess what I would challenge people to do who are listening as we tell this first story is um, ask yourself, what is your reaction to it? Yeah. Right. Is it, Oh my gosh, that's, that sounds terrible. Or is it, uh, they're they're inmates, they're right. prisoners. Although most of them hadn't yet gone to trial, right? Uh, so that in some way they deserve this. Yeah. 
Uh, and I, before reading the next story, I think I'd want you to answer that question. Yep. Like, how? What is your initial reaction to hear that there were, you know, hundreds of inmates in the dark, freezing cold over the weekend in Brooklyn? Is it well, you know, shouldn't have done, shouldn't have done the crime, right? Uh, or is it, oh man, that's that's tough. I, I feel badly for those guys. Or maybe in the middle, not my problem, right? Like I think Good. I think we tend to do that a lot of times with people that maybe we you know determine as the other right like yep. ah, it doesn't affect me so uh, i shouldn't be shouldn't be concerned about that what does yep. the imago day have to say about even prisoners in a different state yes. uh, in inhumane conditions that yes. that should concern us i think because then we get to a texas mega church pastor robert morris of gateway church in dallas he surprised his congregation sunday with an announcement about the church's newest campus the newest campus was being set in the state's largest prison yeah more than 650 inmates attended of the 4,000 who were in uh, the Cofield unit in Anderson County. Uh, 650 inmates attended the church's first service within uh, the prison. Uh, he says at Gateway Church, we're all about people because God is all about people. Hmm. Many of the people inside prison have been forgotten by society, but we want them to know we love them and God loves them and they are our brothers and sisters in Christ. And since then, there's just been... Uh, by any metric, great success here. And, and one of the cool things is that it's the prisoners doing the work. Yeah. Uh, the inmates are the ushers. They're the um, you know leading music, stuff like this. Yep. They're videoing in the message. Um, but it's being treated like just a normal church campus. Yes. Uh, and so you can see kind of the difference here between, I don't know, they're just prisoners. What do I care if they're cold or mm. whatever? Versus Gateway Church here saying, no, no. These are these are people loved by Jesus who need to hear about Jesus. And quite yes. frankly, if we're all about rehabilitation, uh, that's a that's another way of saying transformation. Yeah. What better way than to introduce inmates to Jesus? Yeah. Well, at, this particular story is close to my heart too because uh, at Community, uh, we just launched an effort called Community Freedom. You, you can learn more if you want communitychristian.org/slash/community-freedom uh, to do the exact same thing: planting churches in prisons and uh, amy Plummer and eric dorsey and our team have done an incredible job and we're partnering with alpha to do exactly to plant churches in prisons because we know that for a lot of these men and women they're feeling like they're just at their end right yep. they're feeling the least valuable maybe they've ever felt and we thought man what an opportunity uh to show them the love of jesus awesome. in a really tangible way we're not just mailing something to you from a distance we're actually going to we're going to help train and raise up leaders within these prisons hmm. um, to help lead and coach. And we have small group materials. And um, in fact, if you're listening, you want to partner. There's all sorts of partnership opportunities. People are doing this here uh, as close as Joliet. And we also have churches all the way in California that are wow. partnering with us to plant churches uh, all throughout the country. Hmm. Um, and I think that that to me is such an incredible effort. It's something that I, I'm passionate about because I think a lot of ways where we put our money shows what we value. And for us to say, hey, we're not just going to send you our thoughts and prayers. Right. We're going to actually plant churches in these places to help give you like life and hope and meaning. I remember when I was in college, at, I went to Wheaton College, and you could do a lot of like – one of the cool things about Wheaton is you could do a lot of ministries and kind of get your feet wet and things. Uh, and me and some of my roommates, we, we kind of got into this uh, juvenile prison ministry. Uh, where we would go in and run a little service for these uh, juvenile, and these were guys who were in prison for murder, other stuff. And I wow. remember it was one of the most important and impactful things in my four years at Wheaton. Mm -hmm. It wasn't a class. It wasn't mm -hmm. this or that. Because, A, it caused you to have to do ministry in kind of a dark spot, in a kind of a, you know, a real-life situation. But it was also 
God transformed my mindset because I did go into there and view these people as less than me. Yeah. Like, yeah, they're prisoners. They're, they're, you know, in some ways they're no good. What did they do? You know, they did mm. these major crimes. And then we saw the Holy Spirit do a work in so many of these people because you said, like, they're probably at rock bottom. Yeah, right. And the the questions that were asked and the, the, the things that God did in their lives and the impact it had on me. Yes. Uh, it wasn't me going in there on my on my high horse to go serve them. There was this kind of mutuality that happened of service that was yep. – Really transformational for me about how I view ministry. I think I got more out of that in mm. in how to pastor and be a minister than I did in most of my classes, which were important. But um, because I think God used that opportunity to kind of turn on my head, like yeah. uh, value of people. Yes, uh, that even if they've done the worst things, Jesus still values them and can do something powerful in their lives. That's awesome, man. My my buddy Lewis, Lewis Dooley, actually, we're going to have on the show on another day. Uh, he was sentenced to life in prison plus 100 years, oh. and how he got out is this whole other crazy story. But he, he just wrote a book called uh, Prison Saved My Life. I recommend it for everyone. <laughs> and it is a brilliant, brilliant book, but it also – you get into exactly what you were saying, yep. like the deepest, darkest spot he'd ever been in, and then finding like purpose and identity in Christ and people choosing to love him when he thought he was completely unlovable – just change the trajectory of his life in, in an incredibly powerful way. And I think anytime we can be a it's part huge. of that is, is massively important. Well, coming up next, we like to end every show just sharing some uh, some insanity that we found on the website. Uh, on the website. On, on the web. <laughs> on the, on the interwebs. Because, <laughs> you know, if it's on the Internet, it must be true. So yes. that's coming up next here on The Common Good on AM 1160. Hope for your life. Welcome to The Common Good. My name is Ian Simpkins along with Brian Fromm. And you're hearing that music for a reason because uh, today we dove into some pretty deep, messy topics. Some of them a little heated. Right. Brian punched me at one point <laughs> in the show. Uh, but we like to end the show. You can find that on the podcast. Yeah, the podcast. <laughs> that's just the audio of him punching me. At the end of every show, though, we like to end with, uh, what are we calling it? Internet insanities? I think Interweb? So. Okay. You didn't like uh, strange things we find on the internet. It's because so. you always did a voice with it, and I just strange. couldn't. Strange. <laughs> <Yes. laughs> Why did I even tee it up? <laughs> but you can find us on Facebook at the Common Good Radio Show or uh, 1160hope.com. All the previous shows are there. You can listen to the podcast. But this is this is just sort of our way. It's like a palate cleanser to just share a couple of ridiculous things we found on the internet. You can find all of these yourself. Have a good laugh at the dinner table. Uh, but, Brian, why don't you kick us off with some insanity that you found on the interweb? Yeah, which is also funny, by the way. I'll often listen to other talk shows on uh, various stations. And they'll what? do – Yeah, exactly. <laughs> they'll, I don't just listen to our podcast on a loop. <laughs> uh, and they'll, uh, they'll do things like this. They'll call it different things. And it's always like a sign of the same stories. It always makes me feel like we've tapped something, like the uh, good ones. Right. The good ones. So I'm good. <laughs> That's good. Just a, a simple one here. You ready? People who make their beds every day. So I don't know if that's you. Nope. Not me either. People who make their beds every day tend to be healthier, more outgoing, and get a better night's sleep than those who don't. A I recent don't... study showed. Okay, our producer Josh is cheering right now from behind the glass, I'm assuming, <laughs> because he's a bed maker. Is that true? Okay, so Jim Gaffigan has a bit about this. He says, I don't make my bed for the same reason I don't tie my shoes back up after I take them off. <laughs> I'm going to get back in. Like, what? <laughs> Why bother? Why bother making it? Can I tell you? Can I gross you out a little bit here? Please, We're talking uh, about your homeschooling before. We'll talk about one of something about me that was not uh, hygienic, if you will. Oh gosh! When I was in college, uh, I would put my sheets on my bed when I got to school, and I would take them off at Christmas break. No, sir. I would take them home, 
Brian. I would get them washed by my loving mother. I'd put them back on after Christmas break, and they were likely to come off again All right. at the end of the semester. I, I mean, <laughs> tell me you've gotten better at this. I got married. Yeah. <laughs> no further questions. I got married. All right, this one, the headline says it all. It's out of New Mexico. It says, stranger repeatedly delivers unwanted, unwanted baloney. Which <laughs> As opposed off, to wanted baloney. Yeah, I was going to say, how could baloney ever be unwanted? It's always a good... Baloney on like white bread, right, with maybe like chips in the middle of it is just, I think, a thing of beauty. Do you disagree? Are you not a bologna sandwich? It's just fan? been I, I it's been a long time since I had bologna. At all? Yes. Okay, we're doing that next so, time. We'll just have bologna here. We'll taste <laughs> test bologna. Uh, well, when I was us. when I was really young, my favorite sandwich, uh my favorite sandwich was bologna and cheese. Oh yeah. Oh uh, no, no, sorry, not bologna and cheese, liverwurst and cheese. Nope, I'm out. In, including Disgusting. the spreadable liverwurst. <laughs> oh, no. And so, yeah, I didn't know any better. So as long as I had some cheese on it, then it was good. All right. Did you know, speaking of the polar vortex from last week, yep. this is your state, so you probably know this. There is a town in Michigan called Hell. That's true. I've played soccer there. And it is literally frozen over due mm-hmm. to the polar vortex. It's true. <laughs> <laughs> I like that. Yeah, there's a uh, they have a 5K every year, and you get a shirt that says, I ran through hell. Um, <laughs> We're going to get ourselves in trouble if we keep going too long <laughs> on this true. one. Speaking of places that are hot, uh, this headline out of Wisconsin says, Hot coals used to warm car seat set car on fire. <laughs> That's awesome. So if hopefully this helps one person today. Please do not use hot coals. It's 50 degrees out. Still, though, just I feel like just for legal reasons, I need to say don't do this, please. Yes. Good call. Uh, South Carolina. Man asks deputies to jumpstart stolen car, gets arrested. <laughs> the deputies arrested a man for possessing a stolen vehicle after he asked investigators to help start it. Uh, the passerby, who was also arrested by the same deputies for an outstanding warrant during a 10-minute period, so this guy steals a car. Oh, gosh. It's dead, and he asks these guys, <laughs> at least call AAA. Yeah. They'll call, they'll call the deputies. And uh, wow. they, they recognized it as a car that had been stolen from the vehicle identification number, uh, and they arrested. Uh, he was arrested by the investigators who say they contacted the car's owner and confirmed that it had been stolen. Wow, that guy's not having a good day. Uh, no. Have you heard? I remember reading a story years ago about a guy that uh, was robbing a bank, and he he wrote um, on the back of his parole papers, "Give me all your money." So he had a mask ah. on and gloves. Wrote on the back of his parole papers, "Give me all your money." They gave him all the money, but the police beat him to his house. Like they of that course reported awesome. it because it had all of it, all his information on the other side of it, and uh, that to me. That's an unfortunate. That's an unfortunate Tuesday. Yep, you uh, chose poorly on that one. Yes. Okay, so this one's out of Canada with a really un-Canada-like story. The headline says: a "Woman charged after stolen credit card used to oh, buy no. winning lotto ticket." First line is: uh, "The joy over a big lotto win was short-lived for a Newfoundland woman now accused of using a stolen credit card to buy the lucky fifty thousand dollar ticket." So she stole this card. And I'm assuming maybe it's like financially at her end. So it's like the best I, I thing I could do is buy a lottery ticket. Wins $50,000. And, uh, of course, it traces back to her, and they find that she stole this card. That's, a, that's an unfortunate day. <laughs> also very not Canada-ish in my experience. Indiana. So some people, this, this show reaches Indiana. 
Uh, Indiana Marshall. This is a, this is, I like to give you some that are nice, right? Some nice ones. Indiana Marshall rescues horse. They got stuck in a tree. They got stuck in a tree. An Indiana town marshal wielding a chainsaw rescued a horse that became wedged between two branches of a tree trunk amid sub-zero cold. So uh, if you look at it, it's in northwest Indiana. If you look this up, you'll find a picture. This poor horse is basically stuck in the Y of a tree, right? There's a trunk and it goes Y. He somehow, the horse got itself wedged in between there. And it was really cold. They feel they feel, they feared that the horse might die because oh, no. it collapsed at one point and was growing weak in the minus twenty degrees. But a neighbor brought a chainsaw to the scene, and the deputy braved the frigid cold for forty five minutes to cut away branches until the horse was able to pull free and walk back to the barn and eat breakfast. Oh, that makes as long me as, feel good. As long as he got breakfast, that makes me feel. Is good. that the main story for the day? Oh, okay. yeah, 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 nay. <laughs> that that's but a throwaway. That now, one's free. Now it's just like beating a dead horse. I'm so, oh, no. I legitimately didn't see that one coming. All right. Uh this one's out of Sweden. It says McDonald's lost a Big Mac trademark. BK pounced. So apparently McDonald's has a you know a Big Mac uh trademark and it lapsed because they were not paying attention or something, and Burger King pounced on it. So Burger King now apparently owns the Big Mac trademark, which I don't know what they plan to do with that in Sweden. I don't know if there's a big rivalry in Sweden, but uh, apparently. It just allows them to use it in marketing and make fun of the Big Mac, apparently. That's, that's so funny to me. All right, I have one last one for All you. Right. This one blew my mind a little bit. Uh, in 2017, 2017, most newlyweds in 2017 met their partners online. No kidding. Yep. Yep. Most newlyweds met them online. Wow. So. That shouldn't surprise me, yep. but it, it kind of does. So we're going to tell Josh behind the glass, get on that computer, boy. Let's get go. Get on that computer, man. Make, <laughs> make it happen. I don't think he's a big fan of that particular line of joking. <laughs> uh, we love you, Josh, man. Josh uh, awesome. does such a good job behind the glass. Yes, we're does. super grateful for him and all the work that he does. Well, today I think Brian was a perfect example of just the messiness of life. Absolutely. And if you heard anything today, ho- hopefully it's this, that people are hard to hate up close. So people you disagree with, people that you want to demonize or make a caricature of, like lean in, be patient, listen not just to respond, but listen to understand. And when we do that, I think it will be a better world for all of Absolutely. us. Absolutely. That's a good That's word. Brian and Ian here on The Common Good at AM 1160. Hope for your life. Three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.